You're listening to The Classroom Collaborative Podcast with your hosts, Dee Dee Wills Ed Brock And Adam Peterson Here we go We're so glad you're here Let's get started Hey everybody, welcome back to The Classroom Collaborative I am Adam Peterson Hello, I'm Dee Dee Wills And we are, we are so excited you're here It's been a long time since Dee Dee and I have sat and chatted We kind of did a replay last week um, yeah. We had some awesome guests on, and then it's just, it's been crazy starting the year for me. I don't know about UDD, but it's been nuts. Well, I've been crazy just because that's my <laughs> normal state of being, but um, I know you've been all over the place, so I, I keep seeing you're coming it's, and going. So Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. It is a cool part about teachers going back to school is that they're wanting trainings, and I get to go see teachers all over, but yeah. that, that, that back-to-school routine was much needed for us at our house after the holidays. We needed to get back into it and... Yeah, it's just good to be back, and I'm so excited to talk to you again. So, uh, same back at you. So, we talked uh, recently, Didi and I, about how we want to start sharing out some some trends or topics or things going on in education. So that it's not just. I mean, I know you all love us talking, and we love talking to each other, but there's so much going on in the world of education that we don't have time to cover in these little episodes and things that maybe we've never even thought to cover before. So, Didi and I had been brainstorming. We want to talk about balanced literacy today because it's a huge topic, literacy and education all over. But um, I was reading some articles and the word balance stuck out at me because I found this article on um, the top researches in education from 2019. It was kind of cool to look back at what was going on. So over the next few episodes, we might bring up some of these. But the one that I kind of stuck out with the word balance today was, was balancing an entire curriculum. So before we get into literacy, I saw this on Edutopia, which is a great website and um, full of news-related articles for education that says, cut the arts at your own risk, researchers warn. As arts programs continue to face the budget acts, a handful of new studies suggest that that's a grave mistake. The arts provide cognitive, academic, behavioral, and social benefits that go far beyond simply learning how to play music or perform scenes in a play. In a new study from Rice University that involving 10,000 students in third through eighth grade, teachers, or I'm sorry, researchers determined that expanding a school's arts program improved writing scores, increased students' increased students' compassion for others, and reduced disciplinary, disciplinary infractions. The benefits of such programs may be especially pronounced for students who come from low-income families, according to a 10-year study of 30,000 students released in 2019. So it, it, it's one of those things I think we've all known, like, yeah, hey, that's, that's true. We know we need the mm-hmm. arts, but Mm-hmm. Hear that research, you know, 10,000 students that were studying and showed what it increases for, from writing to math to, to everything. We, we need to remember that as we go forward in education. And I know that as teachers, we don't really have much of a, a say in that sometimes. But if we voice our opinions, if we, if we, right. we get known that we feel those are important, um, it's up to us to speak up for our students and our, our staff and our schools and keeping that balance alive is huge. Yeah, Adam, if you shoot that article to me, I'll make sure I uh, link it in the show notes because, you know, oftentimes we as teachers have a gut feeling, right? We know this is good, right? But we don't have the research behind it. And when we when we do, if we do feel comfortable talking to our administration about perhaps focus changes, um, it's nice to have some of that data to, you know, to back it up. Yeah, totally. I'm, yep. I mean, to me, that makes, to me, it makes perfect sense because when you work with art, you're not talking about um, an explicit response. You know, there's not a right answer, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of different ways to kind of look at something, interpret things. Um, that creativity 
is really something that, um, you know, we, we need to make sure that we, we don't shut that down and right. uh, being empathetic, you know, looking at something from a different perspective. Um, I think those are all things that we could use as a society, as human beings, as, as children. So I, I, I'm with you. I feel right. you. All right. Yeah. So edutopia.org is where you can find that listeners. Um, and then it ended it with that little bit that I read that said unexpectedly another recent study found that artistic commitment, think of a budding violinist or a passionate young thespian can boost executive function skills like focus and working memory, linking the arts to a set of overlooked skills that are high, highly correlated to success in both academics and life beyond the classroom. So it's just pretty well, neat to see all that. So all those are linked in that article, but we'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, so, so balance out your school, but today Didi and I want to talk about balancing out your literacy instruction. And right. I know you shared some kind of an alarming piece of evidence or study with me this morning. That right. I kind of was just shaking my head like that. That's true. You really did read that. <laughs> so I've been trolling different, um, learning disability sites, dyslexia sites, um, because, you know, dyslexia is something that we are hearing more and more about. It's been around forever. I know that when I was a child. Um, you know, we had the word dyslexia in our vocabulary. Um, and it, but it seems like in my own school, um, when, as a teacher, I very rarely had a student identified as dyslexic, right? Yeah. I don't um, know if I ever had no. in kindergarten specifically right. diagnosed, right? Or even first grade. Cause I was on the, um, instructional leadership team and, and, um, the RTI team, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, I was sat in on the kindergarten, first, second grade um, meetings on those. And uh, even then we didn't have that diagnosis. And so what we're finding is that schools are not diagnosing as, as um, because it's, it's more of a medical diagnosis. So they, they technically can't diagnose it. But then there was also this overwhelming feeling that we don't even want to discuss it with parents. That was something also that we, you know, we don't discuss dyslexia. Right. So then parents are kind of trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Um, you know, we normally didn't test in kindergarten anyhow, because we have a lot of maturity factor, right? Um, but usually first grade is when things start to really start to show up. Um, so as I was going through and looking at um, the statistics, it was showing that 70 to 80% of students do not read at grade level um, or are not proficient at reading. Um, and that one in five students have a language-based disability. Wow. One in five. So I first I thought, whoa. And then I thought, hmm, let me take a look at my intervention group that I had every year. And out of a class of 20, Mm -hmm. 22, I would usually have four to five students. So right. yeah, I mean, I did my own research, right? Um, you know, we could see that these are students and some of them are maturity issues, but even after, you know, given more time in a grade, they still had, had some lacking skills. And so it made me start to think about, you know, what is it that students who have a diagnosis of dyslexia, what is it that is being asked what, what are they, what kind of instruction are they getting that's helping them to be more um, mm -hmm. uh, successful is the word I'm looking for. Right. I, I was, see, I was nodding to DD like, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're trying to say. <laughs> you're like, okay, you're come on. Nodding as well. <laughs> you, you can say it, Didi. So what, what is it that students who have dyslexia, what, what kind of instruction are they getting um, that is helping them become more successful? Uh, because they're processing differently, right? Mm -hmm. So you can tell that, based on the information I gave you, 70, 80% of your students 
are learning to read based on this whole group kind of instruction, right? right. This whole group kind of um, filter in instruction, but then you still have between 30 to 20%, 20 to 30% would be the way to say it correctly, um, who, who aren't able to access that new learning. So what are they getting? They're getting explicit uh, phonetic instruction. They're getting explicit systematic instruction. So it's not learning through centers. It's not learning um, phonics just through writer's workshop, right? It's not learning. It's, it's, it's that phonics um, portion of it. Phonics and phonemic awareness. Those are the two things that are really, really um, necessary for students with learning uh, language learning disabilities to become successful, right? right? So when we look at balanced literacy, there's lots of components to it. There is writing, um, there's independent writing, there's shared writing, there's guided writing, there's independent reading, there's guided reading, there's shared reading, there's a read aloud. Right. Um, and then you also have phonemic awareness and phonics. And I think that sometimes because I don't know, you know, the age of the person who's listening right now, but when I was in school, phonics was being sent out and whole language was being brought in. So right. whole languages that you learn reading through being exposed to words and books, right? And certainly 70 to 80% of our students out there are, um, are learning that way. But what about the other 20%? What about the other 30%? So that's kind of what I wanted to talk to about a little bit is that, you know, phonics is something that many of us haven't really had explicit instruction in our own school years. I mean, I remember um, being trained on the Wilson slash foundations yep. phonics. And I was like, dude, I never knew that before. Like I didn't know, like I knew, I knew when to double a consonant just because I, you know, learn, learn, learn. But the, the actual, um, rule right. was so helpful. I'm really like, cool. what? Like, it's how do you, know? you bring that up? Because that's the curriculum we used at the school that I was at too. And yeah. And the, the kindergarten level of it stuff was, was, eye-opening to me. I mean, I mean, I knew to teach that stuff, but I liked the format of it and, and how it could reach certain kids that really needed it. But then I'd step right. into like Trisha's second grade classroom and see the posters they had up and the, the rules they were teaching, even the stuff my own children were bringing home. Right. And they could explain to me why that word looked like that or why those right. letters were in that place. And, right. and that, was, that was a skill I don't remember ever learning as a, st- <laughs> as I know. a child, you know? I know. Uh, same, same, exactly. Like I was always doing, you know, between hopping and hoping, you know right. what I'm like, wait, what word is this, right? What word is this? Is this hopping or hoping? So, uh, you know, I had to use contextual clues oftentimes, and then you just eventually know that hopping and hoping, you know, the difference, right? right. But so I did enjoy, I did enjoy some things about foundations. Um, when I was trained on this was a long time ago, right? If we're talking a good <laughs> 13 years ago, right? It's been about, it's been a long time, well before the common core. Um, And it's my understanding that foundation has updated their scope and sequence. So my, my beef with it, um, when I taught second grade, I thought it was great. Um, When I taught kindergarten, I thought, oh oh, my mercy, it was so slow. It was so slow. Um, And it was, it was so slow, but very time consuming at the same time. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, 
Oh yeah, so we, we it was like left the classroom. So I, I get it, and you're—I I have a feeling our thought process right now because I can see your facial expressions. I know. Mind. Like, I actually just worked with a school yesterday, and a couple teachers—I uh, don't know what grade level does use foundations there. It might have been interventionists and whatnot, but that's what I said to them. I said I feel like foundations, and, and I'm not knocking the program. So if someone's listening to this and works for them, please take this as a compliment. Right. I think foundations makes an amazing intervention program. Because the level it that it teaches is is right on for some right. of the students. Right. But so many kids are so far beyond right. what it's trying to teach. And at the kindergarten right. level, so many kids are still looking at those letters as just funny looking shapes. They don't right. know that that's even a letter. And we're trying to get them to understand a letter, keyword, and a sound. You know? So right. It, so it makes I guess, an awesome intervention. Right. So there's a few, a few programs out there that I have heard great things about. Um, one, I'm going to say Foundations Wilson. Mm -hmm. Boom. I think that they are solid. Yep. They are solid. The other one is the um, Orton Gillingham yes. program that's out there. Um, I am understanding that to be extremely solid. I'm going to go through training on that uh, in the next month or so. Cool. So I'm very excited about that. But I wanted to talk also because, you know, there's schools out there who have a box curriculum, right? right. And so, and they're required to teach it. And it takes you know, four score and seven years ago, we're still talking about introducing the letter H in February or whatever, <laughs> right? You're like, why are we doing this? Because, right. um, and I, one of the things, and I, I know that we said we were going to talk about balanced literacy. This is just one component. I think that we should come back and talk about each component, if that's yeah, okay with you, Adam. Start with this kind um, of conversation. But I, I do think phonics is something that we could probably start with. But um, when, oftentimes I talk to teachers and they say, well, when do you do word study, right? Um, and word study to me and phonics should be the same thing. So I just want to make sure that when I say that I'm, I'm talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to change my language to phonics. Um, so when do you do phonics? Um, I had very short, there was a short little amount of phonics that I did every day in the whole group setting, because when I look out and I have 20 students in front of me and 70% of them already know this skill. Do I need to spend half an hour going over these letter sounds when they have already mastered that? And the 30% who need to know that aren't engaged in that conversation because they're overwhelmed right. because they didn't even get the last seven lessons I gave. Is that the best use of my instructional time? Right. And yeah, so I always, I always think about my instructional time as like a purse of money. And there's only so much in it. And I can only spend so much time on a certain skill. So what is the best bang for my buck, right? Am I going to wait and, you know, go to small group, which is sort of like a buy one, get one kind of sale, right? <laughs> That's my best chance. Because oftentimes your students who have a language delay or disability, they're also the ones who are disengaged from the lessons. And some of that is learned because, hey, I can't access what you're talking about. So I'm going to focus on my shoelaces right now, mm -hmm. or I'm going to focus on making shapes on the carpet, or I'm going to focus on, you know, the clock ticking in the background, or I'm just going to wiggle or bother my neighbor. Right. I so, feel like, were you in the session I was presenting yesterday? Like, no, <laughs> these are the same things I was saying to teachers who, who were kind of looking at me like, 
Like, tell me why you're doing this. You know, they were so right. receptive to it, but so many had not done this small group successful instructions. It's, right. it's funny you just said those things because I felt like I said the same exact things. It's such a it's such a great benefit for your students. So, you know, even if you have your intervention group and you're thinking, I'm not even going to, you know, spend a lot of time in books, but I'm going to spend that time really working on phonics mm-hmm. and phonemic awareness because I don't want to say phonics takes the place of phonemic awareness because those are really um, the cornerstone stones that we need to make sure that we have set. Yep. We need to spend our time on that before we start to worry about sight words, right? Like lose sleep over sight words, right? Well, yeah, that kind it's of. just like when we talk about writing before, like not all kids are ready to write, so they draw pictures no. and tell stories. Not all exactly. kids are ready to read. You can't just shove them into a guided reading book style curriculum you need to start with guided reading phonics you know phonics right basics of it right and so having a system systematic approach um i think is really important and that that goes hands in hand with assessments right so we always talk about do we know where our students are do we know what their next steps are so we really have to make sure that we have our assessments down your phonics program probably has a screening process for that um i'm going to mention esgi because you know i love them um, so ESGI is another assessment, right. but if you don't have access to ESGI and you don't have, um, a phonics program that has an assessment, you can certainly make one yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would create, uh, for myself, what I would create is a small group, um, assessment. So across the top, I would have each student's name and then down the, down the, the side, I would have different phonetics, um, sounds. So, right. you know, or, or the letter A, you could just say the long or short A or whatever. Um, so I would have those and then I would assess check mark and then look for common things that everybody needs to know. Um, and then that would be some of my focus on, on, on the lessons. If, if, but make sure, make sure that you bring in, if you're, if you have a small group and this is your intervention, well, regardless of your group, if you have a, a small group and you're going to spend 10 minutes on word study and everybody already knows it. Wow. Right. Why? I mean, (laughs) yeah. I mean, teachers will never say, oh my gosh, I have so much time in my day. I don't know how to fill it. They will never say that. Um, But they're always saying that they don't have enough time. So when we, when we make instructional decisions based on students specific needs versus today is day 22. So I need to teach less than 22, or I don't know what to teach, but I think I'm going to bring this in. I'm going to tell you, I would love to say that every moment of my instructional day was spent on something strategically targeted for that student needs, mm-hmm. but that would be a lie. I mean, there are days <laughs> when I was like, you know what? I had this and this and this after school today. And then I went home and I had this and this and this. And right. so I didn't get to flush out this plan completely, but this is what I think they need. Um, or the I, reverse side of that, the kids show up and I need this and this and this from you today, not this and this and this because they're little people who need us, right? Like, right, it's, right, it's, right. It's a tough one, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we're humans, but our goal should be to be strategic with our instruction. Our goal should be that most of the time, um, 90% of the time, those 10% of, you know, my child had the flu, my husband had to work late, I was, you know, in the ER. I mean, those things happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you don't have a systematic approach to teaching phonics, you're going to want to investigate it. 
you're right. going to want to look into it. Um, there are resources that are out there. Um, you know, Deanna and I have gone through, and when I say Deanna, I mean Deanna Jump. And when I say I, I didn't do any of this. So Deanna Jump <laughs> went through, you know, we have this, this, <laughs> I know Sorry. she's doing the phonics. She's doing the phonics, um, facelift. So basically, you know, we had this, we had this product we called engaging readers, which is a read aloud, uh, reading comprehension, um, set of lessons. And then we have phonics that goes with it. Right. So we went through this year and we're going through, she is, um, and redoing all of the phonics lessons. Um, she did a ton of research on scope and sequence. Um, and so it's been completely revamped and yeah, it is. It's awesome. Um, it is legit a lot of work that she's had to do. Um, so we're trying to keep up with as, as much as we can. Right now, it's January 16th. We're all the way through February. Um, so it's for kindergarten and first grade. You're ahead of the game. Look at that. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, it just is, we would love to say, oh, yeah, we just whipped that together. Or, right. you know, we paid somebody to do this. A lot of TPT sellers that are putting out stuff left and right. They're not doing their own work, but yeah. we're control freaks. So it's we do hard work. Um, and so it's taking a lot of time. However, when we get to the other end of it, we know that it is research-based mm -hmm. um, and developmentally appropriate for students. So oftentimes that's one of the questions is when do you do that phonics component? I do some of it and I would do some of it in whole group, right. but the majority of it I would do in small group. Even if I had to repeat the same lesson four times for my four groups who are on target. And then that one group that's below grade level who are struggling, I'm probably going to be, you know, six weeks behind everybody else. Does that it, make sense? Totally. Yeah. And that's, I kind of want to go back to what I said about foundations and I, and I feel sometimes I'll, I'll say something and then I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I don't want anyone to think that I was bad mouthing it or saying it's not great as a curriculum. I loved using it in my classroom. And I, I especially Same. think for brand new teachers coming out of college, yes. Wilson Foundation is an amazing program to have because mm -hmm. where, if you remember back to the episode with Adam DeVico, how he talked about, he doesn't, he doesn't bad mouth any scripted curriculum because some teachers need that. Right. And yes. we said that yes. as a brand new teacher, a scripted curriculum helps guide you through what you're supposed yes. to cross. It doesn't yes. mean you're sitting just teaching from that manual. Right. but it gives you the tools you need. And when I say, I think foundations makes a great intervention, I should say foundations makes a great small group curriculum because I yes. would use it with my whole class. Yes. But it allowed me to, like you said, work with the students who were behind. It allowed me to work with the students who were on level, but because it followed such a routine and used the same terminology that I was using, my first grade teachers using, yes. my second grade teachers using, yes. and it built upon itself. It made yes. such a great small group curriculum yes. because I could push the students that needed it all right. while teaching the same type of concepts to the students who were, who were still coming up because their language and terminology in that curriculum is, is so great. So I, I do think foundations is a great program. I haven't had experience with Orton Gillingham. Um, but like you said, I know a lot of people are saying those are kind of the yes. ones I hear about Orton Gillingham a lot in sessions that I'm presenting when I ask. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to get that out there that when I say intervention, I don't mean just for your intervention students. I mean, right. small group, direct instruction, individualized instruction. Right, right. Does that make sense? No. I hope so. Well, it makes, I, you know, I talk, I, I'm on the same page as you are. So, you know, you might, you might be doing your whole class. Um, it, it may call for a 30 minute lesson for foundations. You may do 
10 minutes whole group mm -hmm. and then you know pull students in close and and give them something that is exactly right for them right, right? exactly where they need to go and i love what you said about that consistency of language um, and one of the things that I always say kind of in my sessions when we talk about interventions is we, as, as, as a school-wide, you need to have consistency of what those key words are for the letters. So, you know, for foundations, A, Apple, um, A, yep. um, B, 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 right? And so we don't want them to go from your kindergarten classroom to first grade, and then it's A, astronaut, A, right. and and be banana, right? Or whatever it could be, right? So I know that there's a lot of really cute things out there, you know, alphabet against the wall that you could buy on TPT and that's really cute clip art. But if it's not the same, um, I would advise people not to have it. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Didi. And I remember when we got foundations for the first time years ago in our school, um, a lot of teachers were like, well, I'm not taking down my cute letter line, you know, and um, our, our admin was so great about it because every single one of our administrators said, listen, you are going to put up the foundation's letter line because students need to see that same consistency from classroom right. to classroom to classroom. Are we telling you you have to throw away your cute ones or anything like that? They said, no, why not put those like over in your reading center or your writing center and just expose children to multiple you know, words that start with each letter, but right. when you're teaching the curriculum that we're asking you to teach and you are teaching you those terms and the language and the skills, you need to be using what's consistent, consistent across the, the board so that right. your students who you know are just going to get it, are they're going to say, yeah, Mr. P, I know that A makes Apple, but did you know that it also makes ant and astronaut and an aerospace and airplane? Like those kids are going to get it. But your, right. your strugglers, your strugglers are going to need that. Hey, that apple looks familiar to me. I know that A starts with apple or apple starts with A. Right. You know, Mr. P taught me that in kindergarten. So right. I think that's a good point to make that don't be so stubborn because I know I've been that way <laughs> when a new curriculum comes along. Like there's a reason it's there. You know, there's a right. reason that it's there. Right. Schools aren't just wasting money to throw something in front of you. Right. Um, but I do also feel like we need to say that um, I was fortunate enough to administrators that believed that those things are resources, you know, like right. they didn't, they wanted us to follow the curriculum. They wanted us to follow that language of it, but they also knew that that was a resource to us and that we were the teacher. So right. there's so many ways we could go around this, but I'm so glad you right. brought that up that a well, has could it, for right. Apple and, in that sense. But, but couldn't you, if your administrator says, this is how you're going to teach phonics, couldn't you put your head on the pillow at night and feel like you met that obligation? If you are teaching it, you're just teaching it in different ways, right? Exactly, you are, yeah. you are, you know, you're being a rule follower, um, but you're just teaching it in a different way. So that was one thing. The other thing you were talking about the sentence strip across the top, not only do we have to have that, not sentence strip, the alphabet letter, chart across the, the top. Letter line. Yeah, anyway, yeah you... letter line, that thing. <laughs> I, my arm is like waving above my head. So um, that, that needs to be consistent with also the strip that you're going to have on their desk. Exactly. Right? Because I mean, there's some really, really cute things out there. The name plates that have them all in there, but I never, I, I cut the alphabet part off and I put the foundation strip down. Yep. And then at my small group, my alphabet chart had the same thing. It had exactly. the exact same. And I took, what I did was I just took the, um, the, 
the desk strips and I cut the letters apart and then put A in a box, B in a box, blah, blah, blah. And then I also had it next to um, my easel. So when I was doing a shared writing or interactive writing that they would have something. So like you say, most of your kids, they're fine. They can do Apple, astronaut, alligator, they don't care. Right. But your students who are that 25 to 30%, they're going to be like, wait a minute. I spent all last year learning a Apple at, and now it's astronaut. Like they have to learn a whole new set. Right. Um, and so we don't want to, to add um, more difficulty for yep. students. So that was the only thing I was going to say. So I don't know what the big idea, the big takeaway from today is um, one a lot of us don't teach phonics because we weren't taught phonics. A exactly. lot of us say we don't like phonics because we perhaps didn't like the way phonics was taught before. Um, a lot of people think that phonics is dull and dry, but it doesn't need to be. You know, we, we as teachers, we learn how to teach the curriculum for the first three or four years of our teaching career. Mm -hmm. And then we learn how to teach the art of teaching after right. that. So, um, you know, I think if you're a first time, if you're a first year teacher, second year, third year teacher, you're probably like still swimming in the deep end, getting yes. your classroom management under control, knowing what to teach in that grade level, which is why I feel so bad for teachers who have to be moving grade level to grade level. Right. But you, you'll need to bring the art in there um, eventually. So you can take that boring activity and add your special sauce and make it just as engaging as something else. Yep. Um, you know, you add your humor, maybe it's humor that you add, maybe it's your gentle touch, maybe it's your animations, maybe it's the way you dress up, whatever it is that makes you a unique human being is going to make you a unique teacher. And you need to make exactly. sure that you remember to bring that into your classroom. Yeah, you know what? There's a line in, in my book that's going to be coming out with Dave Burgess uh, consulting. I know. We're like in the editing phase right now. It's crazy. Woo! But um, there's a line that I use quite a bit through it because my book is all about play-based learning. Um, did I tell you we settled on a title too? No. Like, teach, play, <laughs> learn. Like teach, period, play, period, learn, period. Nice. I just got the signs the other night to kind of go through. It's amazing. But anyway, there's a line used quite a bit in that book throughout the chapters that says it's not necessary about what you teach but how you teach it that makes the difference and I think that's why I was so lucky to have some of the admin that I did because they handed us this curriculum and said here's what you're going to teach we right. need to teach it the way it says but how you do it with your personality and how you do it with your students and how you do it based on the interactions you need to have with the students in your classroom is up to you you guys are all your own teachers this is what you're teaching how you do it is up to you not meaning just go off of this <laughs> the curriculum and the script, but how you, like you said, Didi, your personality, your animation, your love of it, how you get that across is completely up to your personality, but this is what you're expected to teach when you're in front of those kids for phonics and stuff. Right. So, uh, Didi, you mentioned the word takeaway, whatever you want to take away from today's episode. And when you said that, it kind of sparked me to kind of wish that I was sitting in a classroom right now with, with a manual in front of me. Um, teachers, I would challenge you this. If, if your takeaway is anything, Go look for, in whatever curriculum you're using, whether it be foundations or um, I don't know what all the reading curriculums are that are out there, right. and try to find the phonics proportion of it and really look at yourself and your lesson plans and what you're doing this next coming week and see if you're targeting exactly what you're supposed to be targeting. Because I'll admit that in some of the reading curriculums, quote unquote mm -hmm. reading curriculums I had, um, 
I don't know that I ever really focused on where it told me to focus on the phonics part of it. You know, I, I think I so focused on the, like you mentioned, the shared reading or the guided reading section of it. Right. Not so much the phonics. So that might be my takeaway is to see curriculums I've used, like really dig into those and see, all right, where in this am I supposed to be focusing on phonics? And if you have a true phonics, you know, standalone program, you're already doing that. But right. if not, take a look, teachers, and, and see see what you might be missing out on for your students, I guess. Right, right. You know, I, I, I was also thinking about, you know, there's your social media, bless. I mean, it could be really, <laughs> it's, it's great because you can see things and you think, oh, I've never thought of doing it that way, right? But also you can see things and think, oh, that's the way it's supposed to look, right? right. That's, that's what engagement looks like. Um, it may be standing on desks. I mean, you playing your guitar is amazing. If I play guitar, it would be like the Pied Piper. Like they would like, (laughs) they would scatter. They would be like, oh, I'll never be the same. So what works for, for Adam Peterson, um, or our super good friend, Katie Mency Mm -hmm. wouldn't really work for me because I've, if I stood on a desk, I know the next moment is going to be a 911 call. Like it's going to (laughs) be. It's just, I'm not going to be standing on a desk because I think, (laughs) I seriously think like I would be going down. So, but you know, I use humor. I've always used humor. I've always used that kind of light touch. I had a teacher that taught um, downstairs for me when I taught in this really old school house. um, And she was so quiet. She was, um, she, you know, she was serious, loving, gentle, but quiet and had this gentle touch. And she had some of the toughest kids in her class eating out of her hand. So it's, it's whatever works for you. It has to be authentic. You can't pretend to be somebody you're not, but look at what your talents are. What is it that draws people to you as a human? And then see if you can incorporate that in your classroom. It's a, it's a great thought. That's a great ending point too, TD. Is, is okay, let's stop because if we say anything else, we're going to mess up. Authenticity is, is huge. We're going to mess up this podcast. <laughs> so I think we'll, we'll continue this conversation. I know you mentioned there's so much more to balance letters. So we really focused on phonics today. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, teachers, go check it out. See what you can find in your own curriculum. We have a, a super fun guest coming up on the next episode. I'm excited to record that uh, tomorrow. You'll find out next week what that is. And then we'll yes. come back and circle back to balance literacy. So in the meantime, uh, Didi will link those articles in the show notes from Edutopia yes. and the sites that she found. Yes. She mentioned ESGI. Remember, visit esgisoftware.com slash start and enter the promo code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save yourself $40 off your first year of their software. And uh, we will see you next time. All right. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to the Classroom Collaborative Podcast. If you are enjoying these episodes, please make sure that you subscribe wherever you are finding them. And share and rate it so others can find it as well. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.